0: Hey, everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 17 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? Hope you all had yourselves a great week. Um, I just want to take this time. This episode is coming out Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and I want to thank everyone who's listened to this podcast and all the incredible guests who have been part of this podcast. Um, I never expected it to be as successful as it's turned out and to connect with so many people I really 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 am appreciative so thank you so much I got an email last week that had cracked the top 150 podcasts music podcasts um out of over 10,000 um on the iTunes chart and that's amazing to me so thank you so much so thank you for that all that stuff happens by people who subscribe and people who leave reviews. So if you have a chance and you haven't hit subscribe yet, please subscribe. Or if you haven't had a chance to to review it, please review it and give it a star ranking. I would really appreciate it. So thank you so much. This week's episode is with Don Sternberg. Don is an amazing person. And during this episode, you can 100% see why he's in demand for his camps, for his playing, for his recording, for his teaching. The guy is just just incredible. And it was an honor to talk to him. So be sure to go to all Don's websites. If you go to mandolinsandbeer.com, I will have all the links to Don's stuff. He's got Sound Slice. He's got a book out on Mel Bay. We talk about a Jethro Jethro Burns book that's out on Mel Bay. That's great as well. And um, you can take private lessons from him. He's great. So check him out. And him and Frank Sullivan, and Frank is next week's guest, um, they're doing a duo tour. December 4th, they'll be in Atlanta. December 6th, they'll be in Fayetteville. December 7th, they'll be in Asheville. Um, I'm going to be at the Eddie's Attic Show. If you plan on going to that, shoot me a message on mandolinsandbeer.com. There's a contact page, and uh, maybe we can have a beer ahead of time or something like that. I'm not sure what time I'm going to get into town there, but I'm definitely going to go to that show. It's going to be amazing. Uh, So I highly recommend going to any of those shows. Um, another thing, a reminder, I'm gonna be in Nashville doing a little bit of a live podcast with Jared Walker, who plays in Billy Strings, and Jenny Lynn Gardner, who plays in Della May, And we're gonna sit down and talk. And so if you have any questions you wanna ask Jared or Jenny Lynn, shoot them to me on the comment page or the contact page at mandolinsandbeer.com. Don't forget that website. You can also pick up gear. I'm almost out of stocking caps or knit beanies or whatever the kids are calling them these days. So be sure to get one of those in if you're in one of those cold states. And also be sure to check out the Spotify playlist. It's updated this week with a bunch of songs like this amazing tune in the background by Don Sternberg and other songs we talk about in this episode, along with every song from every other episode, pretty much. Have yourself a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Don Sternberg. Don,
1: how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Dan. Great, thanks thank so you. much.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for taking the time uh, to, to to talk to me. How's the weather up there in Chicago area?
1: Oh, well, it's pretty nice today. We we uh, made it through like a pretty severe cold snap the last week and a half or so, but it's getting now it's back to where it should be for this time of year. Yeah, we Good. had a we had a
0: cold snap down here in Charleston. I had ice on my truck last week. You know, it was right. like, Yeah, well, that's, you know, you, you know it's a cold streak when Charleston, South Carolina has any sort of ice. <laughs> so
1: you guys must have really had it. I wonder if it's it might even be the same system, but uh I think it I think it was. Yeah, we get snow and ice. It's, it's been gray, you know, which I guess every November is up here, but it's been that way for weeks, so it's a little bit it's a bit of a challenge, but at least uh we're we're pulling out of it now. We might get a little little reprieve for a few days before it all starts up again.
0: <laughs> and so, and right before we uh, started the podcast, we were talking um the gentleman you're going on tour with, Frank Sullivan, he just got nominated for a Grammy. So that's exciting yeah. news and you guys are doing some dates coming up at the beginning of December.
1: That is correct. How did um how did you and Frank meet up initially? Well, <clears throat> uh at this point, it seems like we've been friends forever, but I think it, it probably started at um, one of the mandolin camps. And, uh, yeah, I think it did. I'm, it's coming back to me now. Uh, uh, one of the first times we got to play together was at the mandolin symposium. Oh, cool. Years ago, and uh, we were both teaching there. And, you know, they have, um, like so many of the camps, you know, it's classes all day and then, and concerts at night and you know the s- staff members get to do a, like a, a short set and so that year I was I was looking around for somebody to to help me play my set and and here's Frank you know I heard him play and I thought well oh I wonder if he would help out and uh sure enough he was kind enough to say yes he backed me up playing guitar and and um we just you know hit it off like crazy, and, uh, and and the rest is history. We've been really great pals ever since, and you know, we run into each other at various other mandolin camps. And he's been kind enough to uh, invite me to sit in with his band when they play up here in Chicago, or or uh, we even opened my band opened for him one time at, at uh, a club where they were playing. And you know, we've just always kept in touch and and uh, enjoyed uh, making music. So Frank had an idea, uh, this past year or so of, uh, like side projects for himself where he could, um, play things that he, he wouldn't necessarily be able to do with dirty kitchen. You know, he just explore different styles of music and different contexts. And, um, uh, he was kind enough to, to think of me and conjunction with that so uh, we're we got it lined up now we're going to go out and uh, do the uh, what's better than a mandolin tour you know well two <laughs> mandolins
0: <laughs> absolutely oh my gosh that's great and have you uh are you have you decided like that kind of repertoire is it going to be all over the map or is it going to be specific to a certain
1: genre it is kind of all over the map uh uh but there's a you know it does it does kind of come back to each of our, our strong interests. Uh, you know, so we've got some swing tunes and we've got some, uh, some bluegrass tunes and we've got, uh, a handful of Frank's original mandolin tunes, which are great. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it's focused on the mandolin and then, uh, style wise it's, you know, what? whatever occurs to us. Oh, yeah. this would be fun. I wonder what, usually one or the other of us is thinking like, wow, well, I wonder what he would sound like playing this song, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because we we have kind of a mutual admiration society. You know, I'm dying to hear what he's going to play on such and such a tune. And and uh, and Frank seems interested in hearing whatever wrong notes I might play on,
2: <laughs> on, on his tune. you
0: know? And, and 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 people might not know this. I mean, you're known mostly for jazz stuff. But uh, when I was interviewing Alan Bybee, uh, he talked mm-hmm. about what a incredible bluegrass picker you are as well. And so that I'm excited. I'm definitely going to try to catch one of the shows. Um, and you said it's just three to start.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, first, I got to say, well, you know, Alan Bybee is is way too kind. He's he's <laughs> another another very dear friend of mine and all of us love the hard grass i especially love it when he plays it you know
0: yeah he's something uh, else
1: oh yeah just the greatest and uh, you know that's part of the fun of being a mandolin player you get to go around and meet up guys like that uh, you know like alan or frank and I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world i've been able to to uh get to know a lot of these great guys and and have a ball you know it's just yeah. fantastic but yeah, Frank uh, Frank's little uh, week tour in the, involves uh, you know with me involves uh, uh, Eddie's Attic in Decatur, Georgia, which is a Greater Atlanta area, mm-hmm. and then also the um, Cameo Art House Theater in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and from there we go up to the Isis Music Hall. In Asheville, uh, North Carolina.
0: Cool! What a great city that is, too.
1: Oh yeah, I love it. I've I've been going there for a lot of years to teach at the uh, Swan and Noah Gathering. Yeah, yeah, I really. They're, want... they're Mando Week, and and I've been able to play at that club uh, a few times uh, uh, with another Swannanoa and Noah guy, a great friend of mine named Greg Ruby, who's a uh, swing. Uh, you know, kind of hot club swing mm-hmm. style guitar player. Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, for, for most of his life, he's from Seattle, but now he's, just last week, he just moved up to New York. But, you know, I played in that room uh, uh, many times, as has Frank with Dirty Kitchen. So uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back over there.
0: Yeah, that's a cool place. Uh, and, then, and then you also mentioned that your quartet has been recording uh-huh. for a new album as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we, it's. I'm always amazed at, at how tricky it is to get four little guys together in a studio. You know? <laughs> but
0: yeah. like, like these cats. guys are.
1: <laughs> yeah, it it really is. You know, like, and now they have computers to to help you do that. You know, everybody, <laughs> give me your good dates for the next six months. But you know, these guys are the guys that I'm lucky enough to play with here i I mean they're all busy i mean they're just playing with everybody
2: Mm -hmm. uh
1: you know who comes through town and and, off to and dates their own but we were able to um so far uh we've had two sessions and uh we were able to lay down six uh six tunes and the other six we're going to get back in the studio um just after the turn of the year and, and try to get the other six down, but it's shaping up. You know, I'm I'm really happy.
0: Yeah. So, how do you determine, especially when you're when you're bringing in different people, and it's hard to you know schedule them in? How do you determine what songs that you decide you want to put on these albums?
1: Uh, you know, it's kind of a I don't know if it's odd uh, or or not, but I, I keep lists. I mean, all through the years, I I I've been keeping lists. You know, sort of like planning the next record in my head, going back to when I was a kid. And uh, so, you know, I'll hear something um, or play something on a gig or whatever, and I think, oh, that would sound really good on a mandolin. I think I'd like to record that. So I'll jot it down, and uh, I, I start like that, just keeping track of, of things uh, that, that catch my ear, where I think, that, oh, that would sound beautiful if a mandolin played it. And, uh, you know, so from that I develop lists and I keep whittling them down to a manageable number of tunes. <laughs> sure. And then also I try to, sometimes I try to get sort of a, uh, a theme or, you know, some like a thread throughout the tunes, uh, you know, something to kind of tie them all together. Oh, so this one, it, you know, th- this particular record that we just started, is going to be, um, you know things that we've been playing on stage frequently the last couple of years, and also um, in conjunction with uh, tunes that I've I've taught uh, to my students and at the camps and stuff like that, and they all turn out to be um, you know kind of like swing or jazz music uh, standard tunes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, for the, for the most part, but we're going to get a uh, a couple of brazilian tunes on there as well and, oh cool and a django tune you know but uh that that stands in contrast to some of my earlier records like what uh, a couple records ago the theme was like well does don write any tunes you know so like there's a record that i made called mando and. uh that one is mostly my own tunes you know so um this time around it's it's back to like uh, you know more well-known tunes but as as performed by uh, a jazz quartet that has mandolin guitar bass and drums
0: nice are you going to be do you put it on a, a label
1: i just uh it, they're self-produced mm-hmm. and um i call my uh, my own little label, I call it Mando Traveler. <laughs> nice. So you could say that, I guess. You could say, yeah, man, they're on the Mando Traveler That's right. label. That's right. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's the, the the good and the bad with the uh, music industry now and again. And it's now, now you can do this. You know, you have all these tools to put it out there. Um, yeah. But the, but the uh, bad part is, is everybody does.
1: <laughs> so well, weird. yeah, it, but... That's it exactly. I mean, you. It's uh, it's kind of like the only way to do it, um, for uh, you know many reasons. Um, for me, it was like, well, you know, record labels would say, "Oh, you want to make a jazz mandolin record? <laughs> oh, well, good luck to you, you know,", <laughs> yeah. uh, you know because you know, like a bona fide record label, they want to start at selling. Uh, you know, a hundred thousand units or something like that. And, and, uh, you know, I I would have labels say things like, well, geez, a jazz mandolin record. If, if anybody at all buys that, it's you'd probably only sell like 5,000 records. And then I say, well, if I could sell 5,000 records, that would be totally fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there I am. Well, they say, okay, go and do it yourself. And it makes so much more sense, you know. Sure. Oh, that's and awesome. And that means sense both s e n s e and c e n t s. Absolutely. I I I can, uh, you know, it's better for me to to have control of everything, and and uh, I can hang on to more of it. You know, whatever, whatever comes back.
0: Yeah. Do you have a track so far that you've recorded that you felt like is is a, was a defining moment for you, or maybe even a couple of them on some of your releases that just for you when you when you heard it back, you're like, wow, it's exactly what I was going for.
1: Oh, wow, that's a great question. Um, in, you know, I try to get that. I, I guess uh, I've been accused of uh, being kind of perfectionist. Uh, <laughs> You know, in the recording process. So, you know, I guess I'm trying to get that feeling with with every every cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, in fact, this particular uh, group of sessions, the ones we're working on right now, uh, the guys and uh, uh, and they, they kind of talked me into a different a different process. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. They, you know, like. Well, these the, the 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 guys that play with me are jazz guys, and they say, "Oh man, we don't want to, you know. What's with the click track? You know, why is, <laughs> it doesn't have to? You know, jazz is not like that. It shouldn't. You don't have to be perfect. You know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so this time we're uh, you know we're doing without that, and it's more like like live recording. Um, you know, we still have it set up so that we can repair things and, you know, brush up something if it need be, but it's essentially just turn on the machine and play like we're on stage. Cool. And, um, uh, you know, to get back to your question, I've been real pleased with that result so far with the, the six tracks we've got done. I listen back to it and I say, you know what, that, there really is, so you get a whole, a whole different, uh, energy coming back from that. So, with, you know, which is to say, again, regarding your question, I it, I it might be right now that I'm getting that, you know, defining uh, sound that y- uh, you were asking about. Sure, that's uh, great. Because, you know, I can kind of see everybody's point now that uh, uh, it has to do more with how we play when the four of us play together. And, and also in terms of improvisation, it's more, uh, it doesn't sound so... Uh, clinical you know it yeah. sounds more more in the moment so
0: yeah i mean jazz i think does have a little bit more push and pull anyway right. as opposed to bluegrass which is really metronomic for the for the mandolin player anyway right well,
1: that's awesome and frank and i frank too when when we did those when we uh sat around in nashville and and, and got things recorded it was in that same spirit and You know, I'd be all after him, like, "Well, what about you know?" I played a G sharp right here, where it should have been a G. And he says, "Hey, man, (laughs) we were playing music. That's what we're here to do." You know, come on. (laughs) So I'm, I'm finally coming around. I'm starting to see things that that way, and uh, I I think that could be where we're all headed. You know, at least in my little world.
0: That's awesome. So, so what started you on the mandolin journey?
1: What's gotten you to that well, point? <laughs> well, um, let's see. Now that, this is going way back in time now, Dan. Sure. Started, man. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to know how old I am, but uh, this, I was when I first took up the mandolin. I was a, a teenager, so this is way back. But what happened was. Um, my brother uh was 5 years older than i am and he was coming up um in the folk music era and uh you know the like the 1960s mm-hmm. and so he played uh he started on guitar and then and then uh got onto banjo and he went off to college to be a music major and one of his professors uh, noting that he was interested in the string band stuff you know folk music and what have you his, his professor gave him a mandolin. Oh, he wow. says, you, you probably want this. You probably like this here. And so, uh, my brother brought it home from college and he wasn't all that interested in it. He just sort of left it there in his room. And, and I, I saw it and I said, well, Hey, here's my chance. I can be like my brother and try to play music. Uh, you cool. Know? Yeah. So that's where it started for me. I was like 14 or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but then what really, you know, I mean, I'd started trying to teach myself how to play. I got a couple tunes and then, you know, I'd sing, I, I you know, I'd, I'd get together with my brother and try to sing tunes and play chords, you know, but then, um, my, uh, our mother, um, uh, noticing, uh, that I was interested in it and she, she heard an ad on the radio, um, the classical music station, uh, here in Chicago also broadcasts folk music on the weekends. And she's all, all over that listening. And she heard an ad there one day. It said study mandolin with the great Jethro Burns. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so, um, she says to me, uh, you know, you you're, you're interested in the mandolin. I heard this ad, you know, maybe why don't you go and take some lessons with this with this Jethro Burns guy. And I said, well, what's a Jethro Burns? You know, they, they, my parents, you know, thank God, they, uh, uh, drove me down for a lesson. uh, it was, I lived about, you know, the, the town I grew up in is like a little bit more than an hour North of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And Jethro was teaching at a store in Skokie, which is where I'm talking to you from right today. Cool. That's where I've, I've lived the last, uh, several years and, uh. Uh, so you know, my folks drive me down. I I didn't even have a driver's license yet, and uh, they drove me down for a lesson with, with the great Jethro Burns. And uh, from the very first time I met him, and the, from that very first lesson, then I was just solid gone on the whole thing. I I wanted to be him. And I wanted to play the mandolin, and he was the coolest guy. I mean, to this day, he's still the coolest guy I ever met.
2: Oh,
0: that's awesome! And, what a great uh, story. Do you remember what he
1: played that
0: when you first when you first went in there? That was that that really blew your mind.
1: Well, yeah, just about everything <laughs> he played blew, blew my mind. But yeah. there there's a lot that I do remember from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you really want me to tell? I always say, I always say, you know at the camps and stuff, people ask about this. I say, I don't know if you want to get me going about Jethro, but no, let's do it. I, th- I think it's yeah, great. Here goes. Uh, just, I hope you got enough tape in your <laughs> tape recorder. Uh, you know, I just came in there and, and, uh, with my mandolin and, and he says, well, uh, Donnie, uh, play me something, buddy, so I can know how to help you. And, uh, I said, well, okay, you know, and I had been working on Soldier's Joy and just awful. <laughs> I mean not even close, you know. But I I scratched through through Soldier's Joy and what was wrong was like I held the pick between my thumb and my second finger mm. uh and I had my I had my hand all open, you know. And then in the left hand I only used my first two fingers, like oh, Django. Yeah. You know, I, ever since then, I called it my the Django fingers. You know, that's all <laughs> I, all I was using. Yeah, sir. So imagine that for, you know, self-taught technique, a teenager. You know, and I play... You know, just awful. <laughs> yeah. And I got to it, I finally got to the end of it. And Jethro, the greatest guy in the world, he says... Oh Donnie, that is so great! Wow, <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I just, I'm flipping out. He said, "What? That was? You thought that was okay? Yeah, that is great, man." I, he says, "Listen, buddy, you got all the tools." And so, you know, I flew home from the lesson, you know, <laughs> and my folks said, "Well, what, how was your lesson?" Oh, he says, "I have all the tools." <laughs> And then I come to find out, like years later, after Jethro passed away, I think it was about 10 years after he passed away, I was thinking about him like I do every day. And I realized that what he meant was probably that I had a mandolin and a pick. (laughs) But, you know, the the thing was that he, by being so positive and, and supportive, I mean, he looked me right in the eye. And and uh, took me seriously, you know. So it really uh, he inspired me to think that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and not only was it just anybody doing that, you know, being supportive, but this this guy was he was the greatest mandolin player in the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, if people ask what was it like studying with Jethro, and I say, well, let's say that you were a rock guitar player or blues guitar player. And then you got to go and take lessons from Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, <laughs> right. or Jimi Hendrix, or what if you play classical guitar and you got to study with Andre Segovia, you know? So it was like that. That's... But uh, um, anyway, he he after I played Soldier's Joy, he says uh, that was great. Now you got all the tools. And they said we're going to change some things. <laughs> 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 and he started me. You know, he he showed me how to hold the. He started me right from square one. Here's how you hold your pick. Here's where you put your hand. Now here's some chords. You know, and and uh, pretty soon we were playing playing fiddle tunes, um, just to get you know good single note technique going. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then fast forwarding ahead through you know uh, years with him. I took lessons uh, while I was in high school uh, with him for about a year and a half. I would go every week. And uh, uh, then I I went away to college, kept in touch with him. And whenever I was home for holidays or something, I'd go by and get a lesson, hang out. And then when I was done with college, I moved back down to this, my home area. And uh, I wound up being in, in Jethro's band. He, uh, he had a steady gig at a club in the suburbs here and it's kind of like Jethro hosting an open stage. And that was how he uh, put together his group that he called the Jethro Burns Quartet. And so uh, then, you know, at that point, the studies for me became, you know, having the blessing of being able to stand next to a great master like that in, in, in concert and, hear and watch how he did things and uh you know in between gigs like that i'd still go over to his house and and uh and get lessons too i i would come you know near the end of the time when i would, was taking a lesson from him i'd just go with a list of tunes and say jethro you ever hear east of the sun oh yeah uh let's see uh, uh yeah east of the sun now all right i'd have the tape recorder on and he would make a chord melody arrangement of whatever tune i asked him for <laughs> right right on the spot wow. i think it goes like this here donnie you know and, and he'd he'd play these beautiful harmonized arrangements of of standard tunes and i got i don't know probably a, i don't know a hundred or so more a hundred or so uh tunes like that on cassette tapes from from way back then but uh you know in in total i i got to spend uh about uh 16 years or so with with jethro you know just either taking a lesson playing shows hanging out yeah wow uh, he's definitely uh my 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 biggest hero and I thank God for the time I had with him.
0: That's so great.
1: Man, do you, do you,
0: um, do you have like any particular things from, from all those years of lessons that you can recall that maybe still stick with you when you pick the mandolin up every day?
1: Oh, sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely had an approach to, to, um, to playing, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of key elements, um, you know he had some uh, little cool uh etudes and warm up things mm-hmm. that i i still run uh, you know i definitely show them to all my students and then you know just to to try to keep my hands moving i i still run a lot of the little a little uh, uh etudes that he would show people fiddle tunes and so
0: on. Yeah, some of those, some of those in that. Um, he's got a pretty big Mel Bay book. Out. It's huge. I have it just over yeah. here. I, are some of those etudes in there?
1: Possibly. There's yeah. a,
0: so much stuff in there. Yeah, they are. And and speaking of books, I I would be remiss to not mention you have a great Mel Bay book called Jazz Mandolin Appetizers that was uh I I spent some time with um a, Thank you. a couple of years ago and that's also an incredible book. So people should seek that out. It's still available. and it's available as an ebook as well, I believe. You're correct.
1: That's, and I, I thank you for mentioning that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I love it. I really love the comping stuff. Um, that That's some of my favorite stuff. I mean, everybody wants to play hot licks, but uh, you have some really cool chord things in there that I think. Wow. I was playing in a band mandolin, saxophone, upright bass, and drums. So, oh wow! Yeah, it was. Why fun. wasn't I in that band? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll let you know if we get to back together ever. Um, it was a blast though, and actually, one of the first songs that I brought to that band to play was "Topsy," and we kicked it off the way you kick it off on your uh, Swing Two Twenty album, actually. Oh, great. really gave me a lot of stuff to, you know, when you're playing, you could chop along and be, you know, which is just fine. But when you have a drummer, it's not really necessary. So to have these, you know, and I was no means perfect at it, but to have the tools that your book kind of afforded me to give some comping stuff really, I think really opened my mind and really helped me soloing too, you know, like figuring like, oh, I can solo out of these positions. So, Well,
1: I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. And, and, uh and thank you for, for mentioning it, if I did the, if I I did the full Jethro joke on that, I would say, "Oh, that is great!" Now, Dan, we sold one copy. We wondered who got it. <laughs> but, but the serious, the uh, the serious part of that, as far as the content of that book is, um, in fact, that whole experience of making that book, I owe to a friend of ours named Ted Eshelman. Oh yeah. And you know, Ted he he wrote a Mel Bay book too called yep. "Getting Into Jazz Mandolin." I have that as well. <laughs> and uh, and and Ted was the guy who you know kind of uh, got me in touch with Mel Bay. The, the Jazz Mandolin Appetizers book actually began as a a co project, and so uh, you know, in fact, the title and the concept, like what they were, what Mel Bay was after, was like a sampler. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, well, uh, what about improvisation? What can you, what kind of studies can you show us about that uh where, you know, I, I made up melodies for for well-known chord progressions like say Lady Be Good. Right. I I I made a um an alternate melody or a sample melody. These notes are good for Lady Be Good too and they they're a melody. And so uh you know, there's like a I don't know what's it, what's in there nine or twelve of those type of things mm-hmm. and then there's a chord uh section that like you mentioned where there's six different versions of the I got rhythm changes, yes. and then there's a chord melody section where I wrote uh, a handful of of uh chord melodies um uh, again, just showing where all the the positions are. But in terms of like the layout and the ideas you know to to put together a book of that length and featuring those concepts and stuff, that I owe all to Ted. Um, uh, he's a great uh, you know writer and and thinker and um, uh, super guy that uh, you know helped me get that all all together. He's also got a pretty great
0: uh, jazz mandolin website with a lot of resources on it too, that are, that is pretty readily, readily available, I believe.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's awesome. And then um, you also have, I made mean, less, I guess, but well, we're going to talking about some of the lesson things. You also have Sound Slice, which is, um, if people might not be familiar with that, you have three courses, three or four courses on there. And maybe you could tell right. us a little bit about how those are, because that's pretty interesting stuff, especially with, the technology angle of it.
1: Yeah, I'd love to tell you about that. Yeah, uh, great. It, it is. There's there's four titles, and um, what happens there is it's an online video. Uh, each one is an online video course, and by that, uh, what SoundSlice means is, uh, like if you were to to purchase one of the courses, you basically get an access code. And you can look at uh, a collection of lessons. So one course might last uh, an hour and a half or or so, but it's made up of several different lessons. So let's say there's a a, a course on chord playing for mandolins. You you open it up and oh here's here's a lesson about what to play on a two five one progression. Let's just say. Mm-hmm. So then you're watching it online because you've you've already accessed it with your code and everything, and you can do that twenty four seven, right? It's right. always there, and you can always work with it. So you open up and look at it, and there's Donnie on there, and he's playing, <laughs> he's playing and talking, and you know explaining the things. But in another, you know, so there's there's his picture and audio and stuff. But then in another uh, area, everything that's in the video is transcribed standard notation and tab right so you can you can play along learn how to play it and then the the beautiful thing about the program the soundslice guys wrote this like kind of foolproof program you can access the material every which way you can slow the tempo the playback tempo down to you know however slow you want or however fast you want and you can also pick a section of the material to loop like, Oh, I can't find the notes on this one measure. Well, you can loop that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you can just extract any little bit of the material and you can also print it all out. So, um, you know, I like to say it's kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the if we show you the material, like every, every which way you can look at it 24 seven, you know, it's not like, uh, other online experiences where you interact with the instructor, mm-hmm. but in a way you do because you can keep going back over and over and over again the material. So there's four of them, and um, the first one I did uh, is called Swing Chords and Progressions for Mandolin, and that's uh, you know self-explanatory title. And the next one was called Crafting Jazzier Solos for the Mandolin. And there, it's kind of like I did in Jazz Mandolin Appetizers where, you know, there's sample melodies and actual solos. So I'll take a well-known progression like, you know, some you know, Sweet Georgia Brown or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you know, a handy jazz tune. I'll take a progression like that. I might have played six solos on there and they're all transcribed. So you can, you know, you get a good sample of what the possibilities are for playing over certain types of chord progressions. And of course, we locate the patterns and uh, things on the fretboard as well. Right. Uh, The the third one that I did for them is called Chord Melody Etudes. And they're, um, again, using progressions for uh, well-known swing tunes. Then I wrote new melodies, but then they're presented in chord melody style or what I also sometimes call Jethro style,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, where you play... Uh, you play the melody and the harmony simultaneously. You can be a one-man uh, band with your mandolin. So that's chord melody etudes. And uh, the last one I did most recently, which one is that? Was it rhythm, oh, the, rhythm oh, and it, repertoire? Is, or, right. Yeah, yeah. rhythm and rhythm and repertoire. Where uh, it's kind of the, the approach that was taken on the first three, but sort of all combined together and looking at it and. It, in a different way so what we did we actually used used the used well-known tunes and named them because you can do that if you don't play the melody and what we were doing was working on playing playing rhythm chords uh on these tunes uh, so uh gotta remember what one of the tunes is in there i think let's say sit right down and write myself a letter i think is one of the the tunes so what I do there on the video is um, we do each tune three times. So the first time is just really basic chords. Here's the chord positions you need to be playing that tune. Then the second tune. it's like "Sears good, better and best," you know <laughs> yeah. So the, the, middle, the middle one The we, middle one, we add some stuff to the chord progression, right? Mm-hmm. We add some connecting chords and maybe some color tones, and try to make it more interesting or as i like to say dress it up and mess it up you know you just <laughs> kind of fool around with it now and then the third one it's the third version of of each tune is all bets are off like uh you mess around not only with the chord voicings and you know adding things to the progression but also rhythmically so you're not just playing chunk 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 but you have you know various rhythms uh, so you're playing rhythm in a more conversational style right there, so that that's that's kind of as brief as I could make it as far as the, the content of those four courses. And, sure uh, I appreciate the opportunity to mention them. I hope people will check them out. yeah they're really,
0: yeah, they're really, really cool. I'll absolutely post a link when I put this. I'll have it on the uh on my website and it'll also be wherever people listen to the podcast. I'll have a link um great available
1: for them as well. So. You know another reason I I I mentioned this too, another reason I did those mm-hmm. uh not only because the the guys who uh, built that company are right here in Chicago and they're they're great guys but also because I've met a lot of people who I'm out teaching at camps and stuff I find out about people who can't make it to a camp you know not everybody can come and take a class like that mm-hmm. from me so this is I, I know I I thought it's a great opportunity for uh You know, reaching those people to to you know have the materials to work with like that. It's it's about as close as you can get to private lessons. Um, But you know, here you are doing that wherever you know you can be in Antarctica or something. (laughs) Right, right, (laughs) right. Do you do do you do
0: online private lessons as well or? Are you? I do. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So people can reach out for that. I mean, if anybody is wondering if they're not familiar with you, um, um, I think the merits of one of your students that was on this podcast, a few, some of the earlier episodes, but Aaron Weinstein. um huh. You know that guy. That Don is the guy who taught Aaron. <laughs> so if you, that's you can say no better stuff about your teaching style because that guy is incredible as well.
1: He is. He. Uh... Uh, I'm am really proud of Aaron. I love him.
0: first one of those videos went up on the mandolin cafe forum uh the, yeah. it was it was like a rip in the time space continuum <laughs> people were losing their minds it was so cool and different you know and he's just getting better
1: i can't even tell you dan how hard it's been for me through all these years i have to bite my tongue all the time to keep from yelling and you know, what people come up and say you know i'll be at a camp or show or whatever uh-huh have have you ever heard of this guy there's this kid making court melody mandolin do have you have you ever heard of this guy named aaron weinstein and i i just i just bite right through my cheek to, so they don't start yelling out i taught him how to play <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny Oh, but seriously i'm so proud of him i mean yeah. uh he went and Got his degree from Berkeley and uh you know he's not only a gifted improvising musician he's also trained and you know he can write an orchestral arrangement if you want he can uh you know just he's got everything going on
0: yeah. it's fantastic did you go to school for music? You said you went away to
1: college for a bit did you
0: did you study music
1: uh, i uh I went to uh, the same school that my brother went to. Uh, for college, so that I could be in a bluegrass band with him. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, uh, but I ended up majoring in uh, in history because uh, that was the easiest.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I actually kind of flunked music. Uh, my my freshman year, I took music theory because uh, here I was playing in the band with my brother all the time, and he had been a big time uh music major at that mean, He was Phi Beta Kappa. And uh, so I was in kind of the odd position of, you know, the professors looking at me like, "Whoa, I wonder if he's good too, you know.
2: <laughs> sure. And
1: I went in there for music theory class my freshman year. I was 17 years old and uh, the guy starts spelling chords on the board. I said, okay, we're going to learn what a chord is. Here's a C chord, C, E, G, and those notes are on the lines. And then you know, Mr. Smart Guy in the back of the room said, "Oh, I just played like seventy-five C chords on my mandolin last night at a gig. What do I need this stuff for?" <laughs> I had, I had the worst attitude, and so naturally, I flunked. I had to become a history major.
0: Oh my gosh! Now, if they could see you now. <laughs> so, who were some of your uh, who were some of your bluegrass guys? When you were when you were listening when you were really getting into the bluegrass scene.
1: Oh, wait, you mean when I was coming up? Like what made me be a goner for bluegrass? Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Oh man, I I, I hope you have time. Yeah, buddy. Here we go. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the first one that comes to mind is the great Sam Bush. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what happened was he came with the original Newgrass revival. You know the one. Where they had the Green Album on Star Day. Yes. Uh, and they came and played the University of Chicago Folk Festival. That was 1972, I believe. And uh, seeing them live, which I did before I went to, to Jethro for lessons, you know, I was completely hooked on them. Uh, and Sam in particular, I just thought this is the coolest stuff. Uh, I've ever seen. I started growing my hair long. I got <laughs> cool. long sleeve t shirts. And then when I went to the, you know, I burned that record up. I mean, you shredded it uh, listening over and over again. I slowed the, the LP down to 16 on my turntable, which is a thing that we used to have back then for playing <laughs> these round platters. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I learned the solos off that record by, by slowing them down. So that the sound coming out of the the player it sounded a little more like a bass guitar than a mandolin, but I could figure out the notes, you know.
2: Right. But
1: uh, when I by the first that very first lesson with Jethro that I was telling you about, mm-hmm. he says, he says, "Well, Jethro says, Well Donny, now uh, that's so great.' Now, well, listen, buddy, what would you like to learn how to play? How would how would you like to play?" And I said, "Oh, Mr. Jethro, can you show me how to play like Sam Bush?" <laughs> And he starts laughing right away, and I, I I thought I'd said the wrong thing, you know. I thought maybe I hurt his feelings or something, and uh, you know I kind of, must have looked a little bit shocked or something because he says, "Oh, that's okay, buddy." He says, uh, "He says I have been hearing about this guy, you know, so much. He says I'm sick of hearing about him. <laughs> he says I just got to meet him. I got to meet this guy, and uh, he says I got a I got a show in in Kentucky coming up." He "Oh, I think he's from Lexington, Jethro, or you know, wherever he Bowling Green, I guess he he lived." But uh, I think Jethro's gig was in Lexington. He says, "He says well, I'm going to call him up," and he did. He went down there like two weeks later. Oh, no kidding! And because of that story, I I always take credit for their great friendship as well.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, as, as you should. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But you know, going back to the music, I I definitely. You know, was was a goner uh, for bluegrass. Not only from their show Mm -hmm. at the UFC Folk Festival, but there it seemed every year at that folk festival they would bring a great bluegrass act in, and my parents would let me go to that uh, show because it was folk. You know, it's like you know you're not going to go see any rock shows. That stuff is bad, but it's okay (laughs) to go there.
2: Right.
1: So. I would go there, and I saw, in addition to New Grass Revival, um, uh, this part, I hope I don't start crying, but I I, I saw J.D. Crow and the Kentucky Mountain Boys, and, and not the New South.
2: Right. The, right. You know,
1: before that. Wow. Uh, we're talk- you're talking to a very old person right now. But, uh, <laughs> so J.D. Crow with uh, Larry Rice, on oh, the mandolin. Cool. Dole Lawson played uh, guitar. Did, on oh, no band. kidding. Yeah. And then Bobby Sloan, of course, playing the bass. Mm-hmm. And they did the thing where, like, Larry is maybe 20 or 30 feet on the right side of the stage. JD is like 20 or 30 feet, on, or so it seemed. you know, on the, on the left side of the stage. Dole's in the middle singing lead. And then they hit the trio and those guys run in from the side, and they they circle around the one mic to hit their trio. Oh wow! And I thought I was watching James Brown or something. I mean, the choreography was so beautiful; I was just completely hooked. And uh, you know, so in, in, along with Newgrass Revival, I've been a J.D. Crowe fan since day one, and uh, all the guys who passed through his his band. I mean, that's like hugely important music to me, and. That's and Doyle cool. on the mandolin of course too when he, uh, in that similar time frame he, he did those really great records with the country gentleman uh, like the award winning country gentleman which I think was 72 or 73 Those were the ones that I was wearing out all the time. The other band that came to UFC, though, was uh, uh, the Lilly Brothers with Don Stover and Tex Logan. So for like straight up hard grass, you mm-hmm. know that was that actually might have been the first show of all these different groups that I saw. I might have been the youngest for that one because I can remember hearing the kickoff to Molly and Tenbrook on uh, Don Stover's banjo and I just oh boy now <laughs> I'm, an, I'm an addict from that moment really you right.
0: Know? right how about the uh, how about the jazz spectrum because um, you know was there I mean obviously jethro.
1: The intersection with Jethro was um, working at a factory when I was in uh, high school. I heard a record come over the the radio. A uh, country station was was on, and for bumper music, they had uh, one of the tracks from "Playing It Straight" by Homer and Jethro. And oh it was no a, kidding! Yeah, it was the cut called "I Found a New Baby." Yeah. Diddy, ba you know. Mm-hmm. I had been hearing that song by Jack Teagarden and Bobby Hackett since I was a tiny kid. And I heard that and I was already playing the mandolin, you know, on my own. But it, you know, it, it it came right into me because I thought, wait a minute, that's a guy playing jazz on the mandolin, Uh, you know? So mm -hmm. when I, when that opportunity came to go and meet that guy and, and work with them. You you can imagine how excited I was. That's what. That's kind of how it all came together.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um. So, if you had to pick, if you were going on stage right now and you had to play one bluegrass song and one jazz song, what would they be?
1: Oh boy, you can. We we just met, and you're already getting real tough. <laughs> you get the tough love questions. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, if I had to pick one. One bluegrass song and one jazz song. Oh, God. Uh, Well, I might be thinking of, like, what ones am I liable to pick today? Sure. Oh, yeah, no, no, absolutely. What's going on? Yeah,
0: for sure. That's exactly, yeah, that's what I'm shooting for, like, if you just had to, or even just, like, off the top of your head.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you then. Uh, I got a gig tomorrow night with a, a great Songwriter and uh, uh, bluegrass-oriented artist, this guy uh, named Robbie Folks.
0: Yeah, familiar. Yeah, he's. Uh, and,
1: familiar uh, with him. he's just a fantastic writer and and player. And we like to play some hard grass when we get together. So tomorrow night on his show, he's going to let me do a uh, a number. I'm going to do "Drifting with the Tide." Oh, okay. Do you know that one? I don't, I,
0: I'm thinking, no, I know drifting too far from the shore is what I'm thinking of, but no, I'm not Oh, that's to, beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful a one. one, too. Yeah.
1: Drifting with the Tide is the uh, Reno smiling. As my boat
2: draws near the harbor, knowing soon that you'll be mine. But if another has you, darling, i go drifting with the tide.
1: And cool. uh, you know, I, I like that their material a lot. And Don Reno underrated as a songwriter, I think. But so anyway, that would be a favorite bluegrass number that's coming up uh, in my head currently. Cool. But you know, I, I love all the classic stuff. Online, somebody asked the other day on Facebook, "What's your favorite Country Gentleman song?" I put Redwood Hill and Little Bessie. Time I had a jam with Emory Lester, we played that whole album together. Oh wow. Because we've just we 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 found out that we had both memorized that, that record. Emory of course memorized all the parts of all the instruments. I just I just sort of learned a tune. But and that's the kind of stuff I love for bluegrass. Sure. I was playing a jazz tune, like my own gig comes up um uh, pretty soon. Um one that I'm working on recording Um, and uh, have been playing recently it's called It's You or No One
0: If, what's your um what what instruments would you be playing these gigs on that you have coming up i always like to talk- talk a little bit about gear what uh um, oh sure yeah what's your uh what's your main axe
1: my main axe uh is a nugget two point
0: mm mm-hmm.
1: nice um uh, uh it was made in uh it says nineteen ninety six inside on the label oh cool and uh yeah, that's been kind of old reliable for the last uh, several years. That's the main one.
0: Nice. Do you have any others that you um, that you really really enjoy playing as well when you're not using the nugget? I do.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the. You know, I, I think I might have said this earlier, but I'm the luckiest guy in the world, and uh, that that pertains to mandolins too. Um, uh, I also have. Uh, more recently, I, I got a hold of uh, an Apidius jazz mandolin. Yeah, Oliver uh, Apidius w- wanted me to to uh, play this, and and so he he sent it here, and um, and you know I'm I'm uh, breaking that in, you know, and I love it. And yeah. So you know, as far as being the luckiest man in the world, part of that is each one of these mandolins does a different thing really mm-hmm. well. You know what I mean? They're not. Uh, uh, it's not like having the same mandolin a couple times over, right? They're right. Pointed in different directions, and
0: oh, that's cool. The
1: nugget mandolin, for example, it's like all about power and and um, you know, it's just a very really, very strong sound, and mm-hmm. it's a quick quick sound, and it fits with uh, with bluegrass, yeah, any kind of music, it fits, and uh, you know, I've been. I've been having it around my neck for so long, it's kind of like part of me, you know, and I can always count on it to, you know, come through and it's kind of my, my voice. And, uh, and this, this newer one, uh, that I, that I have, uh, the Apidius, it, uh, it's built on kind of a jazz guitar platform. As you said, it looks like an L5 Right. and, uh, you know, appointments and all. So naturally, you know, with a different body shape on it and uh, different depths and dimensions and so on, uh, it's going to operate in a whole different manner. So it it's, uh, the funny thing is it sounds, even though it's an F-hole instrument, it, it kind of sounds more like a round hole because mm-hmm. uh, it's got a real full bottom end and it also has uh, uh, a really wonderful sustain. It's, you know, the... So, uh, I'm finding that um, for chord melody stuff, it's it's especially handy, you know, because the notes will sustain for a long time. When you're playing four of them at a time, uh, that can, you know, that can help the chord melody thing speak. Right. So, uh, cool. I'm using that. I, I'm, I use this on uh, some of my jazz gigs. I play with a, a singer in town here who uh, does a lot of Django tunes and... Uh, Older jazz things, and I use the yorkville uh in her band very frequently and like I say, breaking it in it's also i find it's also really uh just about a uh, perfect voice for the Brazilian choro stuff, oh my bad yeah, and I'm doing a couple of those on the on the record that I'm working on, so nice. I'm gonna the the I'm gonna use on a few tunes like like the uh one standard jazz thing that I do a chord melody on and then um and then these couple of uh of Brazilian things. Uh, so those are it. those are the two acoustics that I that I you know have my hands on the most. I although I also have a Collings uh M F five. Oh yeah and yeah. uh yeah the another guitar. great mandolin. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It, it really is. in fact at Allen's camp uh 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 not this year but the year before i brought the collings down there because the nugget had a got a chip out of the the uh nut you know oh yeah and the strings were slipping out of there so i had sent it up to nugget to to uh tweak a little bit mm-hmm. and so uh i brought the collings down there and wow it was i was glad i did cuz uh <laughs> It it kind of hits the hard grass real
2: nice I for think. sure. And, yeah, it's a, a. But then beast. I've
1: also got a uh, an electric mandolin, um, going back uh, a lot of years. I, I I also was lucky enough to meet Tiny Moore. Oh yeah. And, and I I uh, back then I got one of his mandolins.
2: Oh, got did it you? Directly really?
1: from Tiny. Yeah. Oh, and cool. I didn't. I I I had it for a lot of years but then uh, foolishly uh, traded away for something else. But luckily I replaced it with, uh, you know, cause I still enjoy playing five string electric uh, mm-hmm. whenever there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And- a uh uh paul glass model five string mandolin made by a fellow named Michael Stevens who is in alpine texas so it's one of those things where you get a uh, it's not a solid body it, it's uh it's chambered oh you know? cool yeah so it it looks a little bit like a like a little junior Les Paul sort of thing neat and uh but the the main uh, idea of it is uh, C G D A E you know so you get that lower uh note so mm-hmm. you you have now now you have the range of the mandola and the mandolin right cool and you're playing it single string so uh it allows me to pursue kind of a jazz guitar sound on there which I have you know obviously uh I've loved that for a long time too yeah what kind of a strings and picks do you use i use a blue chip pick mm-hmm. um which uh currently i'm using uh uh number 60 in terms of strength and uh and it's the uh here i got it in my hand td td60 which oh, okay. i guess it means tear these traditional yeah tear drop that's it mm-hmm. um so yeah it looks like a fender medium which you know is what kind of what i came out of years sure. back but uh yeah i got hooked on the on um, the blue chips, several years ago at the Steve Kaufman camp, the the fellow who who makes these uh, you know, approached me, and uh, I've been hooked on them ever since. Yeah, they're so great. the blue chip pick. And then, did you ask about strings? Strings, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Diadario, uh, the heavy, the heavier set. Mm-hmm. I guess they call Sef- them seventy fives. Seventy fives, yeah, yeah. So uh, so I've got an eleven on the on the e and a 41 on the g okay nice. Yeah. nice and the phosphor bronze i guess is the uh what you know that that's set.
0: That. yeah kind of their flagship i think just two more questions for you here man this has been one, i just looked at the clock i'm like man this is it feels like we've been talking 10 minutes i'm like oh boy we're gonna have, this is so great <laughs> i really appreciate <laughs> oh, you taking you. the time today man
1: Oh, well, um, i appreciate you taking the time Oh, no, absolutely
0: Um, so, uh, one of the things on the, the, uh, podcast I try to ask all the players is if you had 10 minutes to pick up your mandolin today, uh, to focus on something, what would you do?
1: Oh yeah. Um, well, if I was really wanting to focus on something, Mm -hmm. I would, I usually end up, um, focusing on things that I'm working on currently. In other words, uh, like right now, nowadays, because I'm in the studio with my band, you know, trying to uh, track things, I'd probably be working on that material, and then specifically working on improvising. So, uh, which you know, it'll take longer than ten minutes, but sure, sure, you know, that would be that would be the topic, just because you know that's what I feel responsibility for right now, and I I do that same approach with with other gigs or assignments that I'll have. Uh, Oh, I got a gig with, uh, with Frank coming up. I better learn those tunes, you know? So, uh, that, that's, that's the type of stuff I would go after if Mm -hmm. I had 10 minutes. And then as far as unfocused stuff, I, you know, in contrast to that, I, I do a lot of, my wife tells me that I'm playing all the time around the house, you know, Mm um, I, I, I described that other sort of playing uh, I described to my students as Cubs games, drill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I got the game on in front of me because I actually think that there's a great value in that. Uh, y- you can have another focus in, in your mind or in your eye, mm-hmm. and then, but at the same time, you can go and do muscle memory work. You know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, when I'm sitting around... And in that context, I'll just run stuff. And it it could be a tune, uh, or it could be a drill, uh, it could be just licks that I'm dreaming up, you know, mm-hmm. but with but without the focus. Mm, so like sure. the 10-minute thing, if I had to focus on something, it would be whatever I'm going to be responsible for at that time, right. you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the final question, and, and you're not a beer drinker, so we get to frame this a little bit differently. But what was Jethro Burns' favorite beer?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, definitely, uh, uh, you know, near the near the end of his life, you know, the latter part of his life, he he liked the Coors Light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Silver Bullet. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's, that's the one he he liked. But, you know, he he definitely liked just about any kind of beer. Yeah. And, it, cool. uh, you, you know, a bunch of us mandolin players out there, we, we greet each other like that. Like, if I got a call from Dog, I, it'd probably sound like, Donnie,
2: get me a Coors. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That's great, Donnie. If you just <laughs> hand me that Coors over there, everything'll be fine. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so yeah. That's, that's what he liked, and um, and when I was playing gigs with them, you know, I would, there's there are definitely a lot of uh, wonderful beer memories uh, <laughs> there. One that comes to mind is uh, playing the uh, Mariposa Folk Festival up in Canada. And that whole festival was sponsored by uh, a brew that they have up there called Molson Gold. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were in the, in the tent, uh, which is kind of like the green room, you know, mm-hmm. like warming up. We we're waiting to go on stage. And uh, uh, well, we were waiting to do our sound check. Joan Baez was on stage doing hers. And she was taking kind of a long time. But it was okay because you know people who were trying to help Jethro along. They'd say, "Oh, she's not ready yet, Jethro. You got to wait some more." Can we get you anything? And Jethro'd say, "Yeah, yeah, I'll have a, I'll have another one of those moles right now, and bring one for Donnie. And you know, so here's here's like a twenty year old kid up there trying to go. Try to keep up with jethro it, it, it did not turn out well
0: <laughs>
1: let's leave it at
0: that, oh my gosh, that's great, man. Those are some great stories. thank you so much i um I really appreciate you taking the time today. This has been a pleasure
1: well, I'm grateful t- to you for the opportunity dan i, I sure appreciate it and uh, i I hope uh you, you know there there's something in there that can make sense, you know I, Oh, I'm sure there's plenty in here that can make sense, and and uh, and uh, I didn't mean to make the biggest editing project in the world. No, for you, not at all, man. There's
0: hopefully. hardly the best part is it doesn't seem like there's hardly editing the uh, excuse me, except for that right there. Any editing <laughs> issues? Really, it's just going to be a, a good long episode, is what it seems like. So, I'm, I, I'm this has been great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, man, there you have it, Don Sternberg, amazing. Um, be sure to go and check out him and Frank if you're in the southeast. I'll be at the Eddie's Attic Show uh, on December 4th. So if you're there, uh, shoot me a message from mandolinsandbeer.com and uh, let me know. And also, next week, he's the uh, touring partner of this tour. Frank Sullivan will be my guest. So everybody, hope you
2: have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and thanks again for listening. Cheers, everyone.